Good morning. I encourage you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. And uh, we're going to begin at chapter 1 and verse 5. Uh, this is under our, our bigger topic, uh, but our specific topic for today is walking in the light. And uh, so uh, I want to just say I feel very privileged, always it's a privilege to speak to the Prairie community. And uh, I am grateful to President Mark for giving me that privilege. I also feel privileged because uh, I get to teach from 1 John. Uh, 1 John is one of the first books, maybe the first post-secondary course that I taught. And uh, this is my verse-by-verse analysis, all, all in uh, writing. Because at the time, I'm, we're, we're talking about the early 80s, 40 years ago, literally 40 years ago. And so I didn't have a personal computer and uh, did all of my work on, with, a, with a pen. Isn't that crazy? That is so old school. So uh, if you haven't signed up for the Way elective, please do that today. That would be wonderful. And thank you for doing that. So uh, today, if you're prompted, perhaps by the topic, I want to uh, suggest to you a book by uh, John Stott. I'm going to quote from him several times, but it's called Confess Your Sins, The Way of Reconciliation. It's on Perlego, so you don't even have to buy it. And uh, I encourage you uh, to, uh, again, if you want to go further, that would be a great resource for you to use. So we're in 1 John. We're in the first chapter and beginning at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We'll stop our reading there for today. Do you have fellowship with God? What an audacious question to ask, right? But this is the one, if, if it's not the primary, it certainly is one of the primary concerns that the Apostle John has as he writes this book of 1 John. Last week, as uh, Dr. Jonah spoke to us, we looked at the verse, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, from verse 4. And the Apostle Paul, in, in this book, he talks about those who think they have fellowship but shouldn't think they do because they don't. And he also speaks to people who are not sure if they have fellowship to give them assurance that in fact they do. 
So fellowship with God, relational closeness with God, is a, is a really big deal in this letter. In this morning's passage, John states, If we claim we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in light, and this is our theme, this is our topic today, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Well, uh, John, easily you all could come up with this conclusion. You've already seen it. That fellowship with God, relational closeness with God, is the privilege of those who walk in the light. And so we need to understand from John's explanation, what does it mean for us to walk in light if, in fact, we are going to have fellowship with God. So let's begin with verse 5, where John states, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. And in this context, I believe that John is saying God is holy. Now, to say that God is holy means that he is separate from us. He is not like us. Henry Thiessen says it this way, God is holy means that he is absolutely separate from and exalted above all of his creatures and his creation. Holy is who God is, not merely what he does. To be holy, says A.W. Tozer, does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. God has made holiness the moral condition necessary for the health of the universe. And so because his character is one of eternal perfection, because his nature is holy, all of his attributes are also holy. So when God has mercy, his mercy is holy. God's grace is holy grace. God's love is holy love. God's justice is ho- you get it. You know what I'm where I'm going. Because his nature is holy, all that he does and does not do is holy. All of his ways and works in eternity past, in the present right now, in the future are pure. Positively, what that means is everything that God does is good. Negatively, it means that there is no contamination of evil. The evil is not in God's presence. God is light, and in him, John says, there is no darkness at all. Zero, zip, none. Well, this is scary. How then can we have fellowship with him? Even as children of God, we recognize that we do not make the cut in terms of his holiness. We have failed epically and continuously fall short of his holiness in thought, in word, and in deed. And because we are his children does not somehow provide us with a get-out-of-jail-free pass on our sin. And so, at least for me, 
Rather than feel like I have fellowship with God, I easily identify with John's statement in which he says, if we claim, in other words, we are posers, we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, we do not do the truth. Well, in our condition of separation and guilt from God, this Bible passage comes as an invitation of hope because John says in chapter 2 and verse 2, but if anybody does sin, John, you have my attention, right? John speaks to the believer who does fail and who falls, and he gives them Not a message of gloom and doom, but a message of hope. And I hope you hear that this morning. The hope that John offers is not freedom for us to continue to sin. In fact, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And in chapter 3, he'll say, no one who is born of God will continue in sin. They cannot go on sinning because they have not been born of God. And so John's hope is not writing us a permission slip to allow us to be cavalier in our sinning. Rather, John's hope that he provides for us is a declaration of Jesus Christ and of his work. And he says at least three things, at least three, that I want to underline this morning as a message of hope to you and to me as we fail and flop in our Christian walk, and we fail to walk in the holiness, in fact, that we desire and want to in our lives. First of all, Christ is the righteous one. He is the one without sin. He is the one who did no sin. And in fact, he is the one who has made the cut of holiness. He both has and does. Not only that, he is the atoning sacrifice. Or if you have a King James or a ESV, probably it will use the, the theological word propitiation. Propitiation simply means the satisfaction of the holy demands of God through offering. What's the idea here? Sin breaks uh, the law and violates the holiness of God. And God has a righteous wrath against sin, and that righteous wrath needs to be satisfied. God can't just look the other way, again, because of his holiness. And so the appeasement of God's wrath against sin is only possible through the offering of the shed blood of Jesus, the righteous one, the one who knew no sin, who did no sin. He is the worthy sacrifice to satisfy God's righteous demand. In other words, here, the value of the blood of the Lord Jesus is the value that God holds for the outpoured life, the life that paid the full penalty for our sins. Someone has said, propitiation is the appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. Isn't that amazing? Not only that, John doesn't stop there. John tells us Christ is your advocate. The Greek word here, the original word, 
simply means one who comes alongside of us to help. And in fact, even in the culture in which John writes, it was used as a, a, of the, a defense attorney at law. When we sin, John is saying, Jesus is not the judge and the jury who waits to condemn us and to nail us to the wall. But rather, Jesus is the one who comes alongside of us in order to plead our case. And his plea, John says, is not that we are innocent because we're not. But his plea is that we are guilty and that he is righteous and that his atoning sacrifice is sufficient for our acquittal. Someone has said this, the case is not that of a love pleading with justice, rather the opposite, justice pleads with love for our release. And so the message of hope that Paul, or sorry, John gives us here is that Christ is absolutely satisfactory. His work is complete and it is able to connect us, the believer, with a holy, righteous God. If. If. We confess our sins. John says our forgiveness and our fellowship with God is dependent on our confession of sins. And I want to be quick to say this does not mean somehow that confession earns or creates forgiveness. We've just learned Paul or John's petition is to let us know that our hope is in Christ and in his work, not in us. But our confession makes the work of Jesus become effective in our own experience. If demonstrates to us that we have a choice, and simply the choice is we can confess our sins or we can conceal our sins. We can cover them up, we can conceal them, or we can confess them. Proverbs says it this way, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so this morning, in the remainder of our time, I want to talk to you first of all about those, or I want to talk about those choices. I want to first of all speak about confession, and then secondly, I want to talk about concealing. Okay, so that's where we're going for the rest of my time. So confession. What does it mean? What is it to confess our sins? That becomes important because John is saying if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The original word means to speak the same language or to admit or to agree with. So confession is to speak the same language as God to admit or agree together with God. It's, confession means I agree together with God about my sin, about its seriousness, 
about what its consequences are, about my responsibility in it. It means that I agree with God about my sin. But it doesn't only mean that. It means I agree together with God about his remedy for my sin. John Stott says it this way, I must insist again that confession is not morbid introspection. Provided that the discovering and uncovering of our sins is not an end in itself. It doesn't stop there. We must never look back at our past sins or onto our wicked hearts without immediately looking away from them in repentance and up to Jesus in faith. The whole purpose, he says, of uncovering our sins is so that we might go first to confess them, asking for cleansing through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Confession is a deep heart response to God. Um, This is the best illustration I know of this idea. Uh, When our kids were little, and they would uh, do a baddie to each other, (laughs) we would sometimes get them together, even make them hug each other and say, I'm sorry. And uh, sometimes, I'm telling you, they weren't sorry, but they would mouth the words because mom and dad would say you should do that. And sometimes uh, we think that our mouthing the words, I'm sorry, is the same thing as confession, and it's not. It's not. Confession is a heart response to God of agreeing together with him about our sin and also about his remedy for sin in our lives. And when we do that, when we confess, John says that he is faithful, God is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? God is faithful. Why? He is faithful because he promised to do so. He will say what he has, he will do what he has said. He cannot forsake his word. And if we confess, he is faithful to forgive. He is just because of the Lord Jesus. We've already talked about that. He is right to forgive us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that like out of the box? (laughs) He is right to forgive us. Not because I have anything to offer, but because of what Christ has done When we confess, he is just and right to forgive us for our sin. Not only that, all he gives us legal cleansing. That's what forgiveness is. It is, I am now legally cleansed, right? Of every sin that is imaginable. There's somehow not a sin that God cannot forgive. Not only that, he cleanses, John says. And I think that this is more than legal. It's personal. In our conscience, in our minds, God cleanses us. He takes the shame. He erases the guilt so that I have fellowship. I have closeness with him and with others. And so... Uh, this comes to this brings us to our theme for this morning, walking in the light. And again, I want to quote from Stott. 
As soon as any sin is in our conscience, whether committed against God or men, we must confess it. This is what it means to walk in the light. Walking in the light, and this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful description. I hope you etch this into your mind today. Walking in the light has been described as living in a house without ceiling or walls. Permitting no barrier to arise between us and either God or others. It is a very serious thing, he says, to tamper with our conscience or let it be clouded, remain burdened and relieved. As soon as we are conscious of God's face having become clouded so that we are estranged from him, we need to get away quietly to uncover our sin, to confess it and forsake it. It is an indispensable condition of abiding continuously in Christ. Such confessing and forsaking, he says, immediate and detailed, are required of every Christian. The uncovering of sin is painful and it's humiliating. It brings us to our knees in lowliness before God. But if we want to receive mercy, both forgiveness for the past and power for the future, there is no other way. Well, that's one of the choices we have, is confession. It's beautiful. What an amazing gift that God has given to us. But another alternative is concealing or covering. We can stay in the darkness rather than walking in the light. And John gives us at least two examples of that, or he describes that at least in two ways. If we claim to be without sin, or if we claim we have not sinned. We deceive ourselves, the truth isn't in us, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. All of those things are true of us when we cover our sins. So, this morning, in order to try and be very practical, I want to ask the question, how do we cover our sins? And as I thought about that in my own life, I thought, I am incredibly creative in designing and devising unending ways of covering my sin. So I'm only going to provide for you this morning a few examples, because I cannot give you an exhaustive list, but I can give you a few examples of how I think it's possible for us to conceal and cover our sin in such a way that we do not confess. The first is we disregard sin. Rather than confess it, we simply live in it. We treat sin as if it is no big deal and it does not matter. As long as I have my ticket to heaven, we live as if sin is irrelevant and we don't care. In 2005, I know that's kind of ancient, but in 2005 already, Ronald Sider wrote a book, a critique of evangelicals in which it was called the scandal of the evangelical conscience and in the book he said by their daily activity most Christians regularly commit treason with their mouths they claim that Jesus is their Lord but with their actions they demonstrate their allegiance to money sex personal self-fulfillment most Christians he said live lives are no different from the lives of their secular neighbors Hedonism, materialism, racism, egotism, and many other undesirable traits are commonplace among Christians. He goes on to say, 
they are very much, Christians, are very much like their non-Christian neighbors in rates of divorce, premarital sex, domestic violence, use of pornography, and are actually more likely, more likely to hold racist, racist views than other people. One of the ways that we conceal our sin is simply living in it and disregarding it. A second way I think that we can conceal our sin is relabeling it. We relabel sin by calling it something than it actually, other than it, what it actually is. Rather than defining sin by the clear reading of the Bible, we relabel it with other terms. I'm just going to give you one illustration of how this is done in our culture. Fornication, that's a jolting word, is making love. Our relabeling of a sin is often done by our culture, but too often done by Christian culture. The correct reading of the Bible provides the only reliable definition of sin. Number three, we can cover our sin by minimizing it. A general confession can be one of the ways, I, I'm, I'm saying one of the ways that we can do that is a general confession such as, Lord, forgive my sin. What am I saying? Praying a general prayer lumps all of our sins together without having to face the fact of a specific sin in our life. And so we can ignore it or hide it. In this experience of opening ourselves to the gaze of God, we must be prepared to deal with definite sins. We can excuse sin. God, I cheated on my test, but if you hadn't let her paper be so visible, I wouldn't have. <laughs> See, it's her fault. God, I yelled at my mom, but she yelled at me first. It took place so long ago. We have so many rationalizations or excuses. Dr. Tony Evans says if it contains an excuse, it just isn't a confession. Now, this is the last example that I'm going to give of how we conceal. Again, it's not exhaustive, but let me give one more example. And I think that is we can minimize the work of Jesus and what he has done. And I think we do that in these kinds of phrases. This is our self-talk. God can't forgive me. God can't forgive me now. What I've done is so horrible, it is in inconceivable that God could forgive and what I'm saying to you is that this minimization of the work of Jesus is a way that we can conceal rather than confess our sin. So, in conclusion, are we, not only you, but are we confessing or concealing sin? The answer to that question will inform you as to whether you are walking in the light. And the answer to that question will also help you know if you are in fellowship 
with God. The late Dallas Willard said it this way, confession alone makes deep fellowship possible. Renewal in the spiritual life of God's people often takes place when there is a renewed recognition of God's holiness, a deep conviction of sins, and genuine confession of those sins. King David, in conclusion, King David was a horrific sinner. <laughs> At least five of the Decalogue, I'm assume, my assumption is that there was more, but at least five, lying, murder, stealing, coveting, adultery. We have a beautiful, beautiful passage in Psalm 51 where David cries out to the Lord and he confesses his sin such that Psalm 51 says, a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. And he didn't. He didn't in David's life. So that in Psalm 32, is, we find David's proclamation of forgiveness. And what I want to say to you this morning is that David's proclamation of forgiveness can be, should be, your proclamation this morning. Because in 1 John chapter 1 and 2, we have this incredible message of hope of what God has done in order to provide for us connection, communion, closeness in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, thank you that in our separateness, in our guilt, in our shame, in our sin, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, who is without sin, who did no sin, to uh, take our sin upon himself so that when we fail and we fall, he is our advocate. He is our defense attorney who pleads his work on our behalf. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us, give us the courage in the places in our life where we love the dark to come into the light to acknowledge, to confess, so that you might in our lives bring about forgiveness and cleansing and healing. And we thank you that you have committed yourself to do so. Help us this day to walk in light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.